0: The reading this evening comes from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This is God's word.
1: The reading is from Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 17. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, and carried our diseases. This is God's Word.
2: Well, good evening. Uh, let me uh, add my welcome uh, to you. My name is uh, Matt Fuller, Minister here. It's uh, uh, great to see you. And, um, and uh, let me pray. Let me pray as we come to look at God's Word. Our loving Father, we thank you that uh, in Jesus Christ we see our great God and our King. And as we come to your word this evening, would your spirit persuade us afresh? Uh, would it deepen our understanding of him as king? Would it deepen our desire to love him and serve him as our king? We ask for his glory's sake. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've had the experience of uh, meeting the queen, but when the monarch comes to uh, visit your house... Which would be nice, uh, or comes to visit. Uh, it changes things. There's always great drama. Uh, many years ago, when I was a school teacher, uh, the Queen came to visit the school where I was working, and uh, everything changed. Everything changed. Everything got a fresh coat of paint. Every door and brass handle was uh, was polished up. Flowers started appearing everywhere on the day of her visit flowers coming out of lockers, flowers hiding indiscretions and all sorts of things, flowers coming out of bins, flowers coming out of people's hair, flowers, flowers everywhere, Sort of, you know, anything that was vaguely uh, unpalatable to the eye, cover it with flowers, and um, apart from the snipers, they had to have a clear view, that was odd as well. But when the Queen comes, everything changes, and uh, uh, it's lovely, and uh, we met her, and she's quite short in real life, if you've never realised that, and Philip is quite funny when you meet him, genuinely so. Um, but other than that, uh, they, and they go, she's gone. And actually, everything goes back to being pretty ropey and scuffed up in a school fairly quickly. So actually, her visit didn't change a huge amount. And there is a limit to what she can do. And constitutionally, there's a limit to what she can do. She can uh, tell a prime minister off She can tell Tony Blair off, if the truth be told, in his new biography, Uh, you are my 10th Prime Minister, Mr Blair. Um, She can tell but constitutionally there is a limit to what she can do. And in terms of dramatically changing her nation, she is pretty limited. Uh, There's a limit to what she can do to unite different sorts of people. There's certainly a, a limit to what she could do in the face of people's sickness. I mean, when there was the great hoo-ha over bird flu, there wasn't a great queue outside Buckingham Palace. Mom, save us. Uh, there wasn't, it's not the place you'd go. And, of course, death she can do nothing about. She will face it herself, and she can't prevent you or I. So, you know, the queen, it's lovely, it's lovely when you meet her, but actually her impact is not that significant, really. She comes and she goes. Tonight, we're thinking about the arrival of the king, The biblical king. And uh, uh, even before you get to the New Testament and uh, Jesus Christ arriving on on the pages there and in history, uh, the Old Testament has has built up to a sort of, look, when the king comes, he will address all the wrongs of the world. Uh, He will address divisions. He will address sickness. He will, above all, address death. Let me uh, uh, briefly just read you a couple of verses uh, one of the lovely pictures of this uh, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter twenty-five, talking of the king's arrival on this mountain. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of a feast of rich. F- uh, excuse me, on this mountain, what will He prepare? The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, He'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples the sheep that covers all nations. He'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. It's a very lovely picture, isn't it? Of the king coming, laying out a feast, a banquet, and swallowing up death, just consuming it. Where's death gone? It's, he ate it, can't get anyone anymore. I mean, just like a cake, it's gone... And uh, are you worried about death? No, he ate it last week. Oh, that's good. It's gone. It's gone. No more tears. When the king comes, he'll change everything. That's the expectation uh, of the Old Testament. And uh, that's what we encounter. Here in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Tonight, then, we're starting a new little series uh, for a few weeks in just chapters 8 to 10. Um, This is part of our slow march through the book of Matthew. Uh, Some will know, 18 months ago, we looked at chapters 5 to 7, and now 8 to 10, and we'll get there eventually. Uh, Stick around for 10 years, we'll get to the end. Um, But for a couple of months, then, we're just in these couple of chapters, 8 to 10. Now, if you were here, you'll know uh, chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, that is Jesus' famous speech, Uh, his great words, and really when you get to chapters 8 to 10, it's his acts. So Matthew focuses in upon his actions, dramatic, significant actions. There are nine sort of main miracles he performs here, and they sort of work like this. There are three, then there's some discussion, what does this mean? Then there are three, and what does this mean? And three, and how do we respond? It works a bit like that uh, through this little section. And the ones tonight are healing, Pick that up fairly obviously, a leper. A paralysed man, a feverish woman, they're healing miracles. Now, I want they're dramatic, but you may not be that impressed. I mean, you might think, well, okay, leprosy, paralysis, fever, I mean, you know, we can deal with those things, can't we? Uh, I watch House MD, he deals with far worse things than that. He deals with all sorts of crazy illnesses that no one's ever heard of. Um, what's, is it that impressive? Well... Yeah, <laughs> yes it is. See, the arrival of the king, it's not just to deal with individuals who have problems. What we want to see tonight is that these, uh, these incidents that Matthew records, he puts them all together. I don't suppose they all happened on one day, but he, he puts them all together in this little section. And he wants us to see, look, look beyond these individuals, because the king has come for the world, to heal sickness in the world. That's what the king has come for. There's a sense in which when uh, Jesus uh, really gets going in, uh, in, his, in his action ministry, as it is in, in Matthew's gospel, it's a bit like um, you're, you're living in a black and white world, but there's one man who's in color. Well, all black and white, but in glorious Disney technicolor. There's one man who just, and wherever he goes, everything he touches is also colored in. Eventually the the world is changed or transformed by him. And that is Matthew's picture of what's going on here. Jesus, the king, has come to a sick and dying world. Or um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, he he paints this brilliantly. So uh, if you've read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or even sneaked out to see the film, um, the, the picture there is when Aslan, the king, Uh, who's a lion, meant to represent Jesus Christ. When he arrives in Narnia, it is a frozen world. A world under the the spell of the white witch. Um, Everything is frozen. It's always winter, but never Christmas. Uh, And they've been stuck that way for as long as anyone can remember. Aslan arrives on the scene and melts. Wherever he goes, wherever he walks, it melts. And gradually over time, that Spring slowly, slowly dawns, because when the king comes to a sick, frozen world, he's influenced, he changes things. And Lewis, as as a creative thinker, he is brilliantly picking up on what Matthew describes here in these chapters. The king arrives, and he's pushing back sickness. He's slowly melting a frozen world of sickness and decay and death. ...as he walks around on this planet. Three incidents, then, uh, that Matthew gives us to, uh, to uh, uh, talk of this, uh, to talk around this. Uh, there's a leper. He restores an unclean leper. He includes an unacceptable Gentile. He empowers an insignificant woman. And, um, yeah, let's have a look at them. First, it uh, one to four. He restores an unclean leper. Now, all of these three, in one sense, they're all people who are excluded in society... If you're a leper, you're shut out. If you're a Gentile, you couldn't join uh, with God's people in a superficial way. If you were a woman in the culture of the time, you couldn't be at the center of the religious life of the day. So these are all three people who are slightly on the perimeter, but the leper most so. Uh, The leper uh, is the most obvious. I don't know if you read read... Anyone read uh, Victoria Hislop's novel, The Island? It's a great book, really lovely book. Um, But it's a novel set on a true sort of, what do we call them, factions? No, it's a a novel, but it's set on the Greek island of Spinalunga, um, which was their leper colony until 1956. And it carries the horror with which lepers were viewed, even in the 20th century. is extraordinary. People feared them. Because it was a disease that if you caught, it's death. And you can catch it just from touch. So the horror, the, the social pariah status of a leper, extraordinary even in the 20th century, in the 1st century, much worse. Because it was, it was the great killer of the day. The sort of AIDS, avian flu, I don't know, roll them into one uh, for a modern example. People were terrified. So if you were, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were cast out. You would live outside the city wall. You'd have to carry a bell. And if anyone came near, you'd ring it and say, unclean, unclean. What does that do to you after a period of time? You're just completely excluded from human society. Horror. To be a leper was awful. Jesus meets a leper. And it's it's interesting, actually, what the leper asks for. So chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, you see, you get that every time when Jesus does something, it's chapter 8, verse 1, 8, verse 5, 8, verse 14, those are the markers. But chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, that's interesting, I think. Uh, first of all, he says, hey, you can do this, no question, you can do this. Of course, I, I know that, there's a real confidence in Jesus' power. But I think the thing is interesting, he says, y- can you make me clean, please? Now, you have a life-threatening disease and you're expecting to die. What do you ask for? I mean, if you tragically walked out tonight and are knocked over by a car and are lying in the road... Uh, And someone says, oh, can I, shall I ring you an ambulance? Just make me clean. It would be an odd thing to say, wouldn't it? Yeah, an ambulance would be good. You have a heart attack. (gasps) You know, should we get a doctor? Just wash me clean. I mean, it would be an odd thing to to say. He said, can you take away my disease? Can you cure me? Can you heal me? Yeah, get me an ambulance. Um, But clean is an odd thing. But the thing about being a leper is, if you're diagnosed with that, you were deemed spiritually unclean. So you were cut off, not just from, from people, but you were cut off from God, in a sense. You couldn't draw near to Him in the temple. You couldn't be near God's people. And so for the leper, the worst thing, the thing he instantly says, to, uh, you, please sort this out, it's not kill my disease, it's I want to be restored. I want to be back with God's people and with God, and I just can't do that while I've got this, this disease all over me. Can you make me clean, is what he asks for. Leviticus 14, uh, back in the Old Testament, tells you, you just couldn't go near God. And so this, the way this works is, in the Bible, leprosy, it's a disease, yes, but it's also a metaphor for sin. It repeatedly. Throughout the Old Testament, a, a number of characters, when their sin is, is, is pronounced, God turns them into lepers, or sorry, grants that gives them leprosy. Gehazi, 2 Kings 5, is perhaps a famous one. But there are a, a number scattered throughout. It's a metaphor. The fact that there was leprosy amongst God's people is a symptom of something much worse, it's a symptom of their sin their rebellion against God. And leprosy was just a, a scattering amongst the people. It's a, it's a demonstration. All is not well with you as a people. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, this week uh, Google. Um, it's hard to feel sorry for Google when it's quite so wealthy, but I felt a tinge of uh, sorrow or pity for Google this week. Their, their office in Manhattan, not their main office, but uh, their nice swanky offices in Manhattan. They had to leave um, because all the staff were coming up in red welts Oh, nothing wrong with the staff, per se, but the office have been infested with bed bugs. Now, obviously, a slight misnomer because there are no beds uh, in the offices. They're desk bugs, I don't know, carpet bugs. They're the same sort of things. But it's just an infestation uh, there. And so everyone's coming up with red welts because they're being bitten um, and are very nasty. So they've had to move out and I don't know what that means. They get the. People in to do something chemical, I guess, uh, to clean it all out, and they have to leave it for a while. Now, actually, nothing wrong with the individuals per se, but their environment, their office world, was infested, was rank, was sick, and it was affecting people. And in a similar way, leprosy here in the Bible and for God's people, it was sort of, it was just there as as the like the red welts the problem was in the world not the office world but in their in their world their spiritual world they were sinful but it came out in various individuals as leprosy all is not well leprosy because there is sin amongst you there's a problem here you're unclean in relation to god there's a problem and so the, the man's request here of, uh, of the leper in chapter 8 is, I, I don't want to be excluded from God's people anymore. I want my relationship with God and his people restored. Fine. And off Jesus goes. Look at his response. Very lovely. Full of uh, uh, gentleness and compassion. He does two things. Verse 3, he, he reaches out his hand and touches the man and he speaks. I'm willing. Be clean. He touches and he speaks. Now that's very lovely because... This man probably wouldn't have had human touch for years. Certainly not of a healthy human. Everyone would have just, oh, leper, get away. Jesus touches him. Very human, very basic needs to be touched, (laughs) to be embraced. He touches him and very simply says, Yeah, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately, verse 3, he was cured. Or, as it literally is in the Greek, he was made clean. Off you go to the priest. Tell everyone what I've done for you, says Jesus. So Jesus, he restores an individual. He's not just taking a disease. He's taking sin by its hand and dealing with its effects. So what should happen, and what should happen practically, when Jesus touches a leper, two things should happen. He should become unclean spiritually, ceremonially, and in all probability he'll get the disease as well. Neither happens. It sort of, it, it goes the wrong way. He spreads health. But like, you know, the, the big oil slick in, uh, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, oil spreading out, spreading out, spreading out, and it touches the burrs and it contaminates them. Well, oil spreads out, spreads out. It touches Jesus and it just all goes. It's gone. It's what happens when Jesus touches this man's sickness. The metaphor for his sin goes. Extraordinary. shouldn't happen that way. It reaches Jesus and disappears. That's the king. He heals the uncleanness of sin. There's a leper. He restores an unclean leper. Uh, more briefly, he, re- he includes an unacceptable Gentile. So, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, different little encounter here. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, he meets, doesn't actually meet the man, but the uh, the servant, verse 6, is uh, paralyzed in terrible suffering, lying at home. He can't even get off his bed. But this Gentile man, he's excluded in a different way, not because he's a leper, but because he's not a part of God's people. He comes along to Jesus with extraordinary humility, Lord, if you are willing. Sorry, oops, Lord, next one. Lord, verse 6, my servant lies at home. You... you Just reports the news. Doesn't go on. Just as if you are willing. No, no, none of that. Jesus interrupts him. I'll go. My servant, Jesus. Yeah, I know. I'll go. I'll go and heal him. Confident? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, feeling pretty good as God, actually, uh, that I can go and do that. And the centurion has has got that. So verse 8, Lord, I, I don't deserve to have you under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. Wow, that, that's very impressive. There's no record uh, before this of Jesus healing at long distance. He's always met people, touched them, or, or spoke to them and seen them. And now, look, Jesus, you know, I've kind of got who you are now. You can just do it long distance. You could do it down the phone. You don't even need a phone. There isn't a phone. You can, um, you can, just, you can just do it. I don't know what Jesus' range was, you know, pre- presumably limitless, but he's, it's a remote healing. It doesn't mean I struggle to access my computer remotely. This is remote healing. Well, oh, very impressive that the man would expect such a thing. You see what he gets, verse nine, here's, here's why I'm f- persuaded you can do this, Jesus. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, Do this, and he does. I don't know if he had that voice. The um, This is the way it worked. He's a centurion. Above him is the Emperor. As a soldier of the emperor, he carries his authority. Emperor, centurion, squaddy, uh, soldier. And he says, when I give an order, it comes effectively from the emperor. And if they don't do it, they're dead. They do it. It comes with the emperor's authority. And Jesus, I get who you are. You have authority because God has given it to you. God, you, Jesus, sickness. So I get if you if you say to sickness, go, it'll go, because I know the sort of authority you have. And Jesus says, "Wow." Verse ten, gosh. Not, not many people get it actually. That extremely well done. That's very impressive. This sort of faith, from a Gentile, wow. See, he I don't know if he, this man had heard the Sermon on the Mount. But he certainly gets the Sermon on the Mount. If you were here, do you remember, it It starts off, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the way to begin the Christian life, poor in spirit, saying, spiritually speaking, I'm a beggar. I come with my begging bowl and I have nothing. I'm, I'm homeless on the street, spiritually speaking. Can you fill my bowl? I am bankrupt. I'm out of it. I'm out of the game. I have no more resources. Can you come and take my debt? And this man says to Jesus, I'm not worthy. Verse 8, I don't deserve, but I know the sort of power you have. That's faith, says Jesus. Wow. Oh, by contrast, well, by contrast, verses 11 and 12, there'll be lots of uh, Jews in the first century who don't have that sort of faith of verse 10, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember that picture we started with, Isaiah 25? There will be a banquet still in the future, still to come. It's the new creation glory. There'll be a banquet, says Jesus. That's the picture of the new creation. And there'll be lots of people like you, Centurion, there. People who say, I'm not worthy of you, Jesus. But I recognize you have extraordinary power from God and authority. And there'll be lots of like those around me in the first century who are full of themselves. And don't come to me humbly and don't recognize who I am. Be awful for them to fail to recognise who I am. So, verse thirteen, Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it'll be done just as you believed it would, and he's healed straight away. Just that hour. <laughs> so you see, Jesus, he includes an unacceptable Gentile not acceptable, this centurion, to the to the Jewish people of the first century. He says, You're very welcome, because of your faith, to humble faith in me'. Last one. Uh, he empowers an insignificant woman. Uh, the shortest verses uh, 14 and 15. and um, uh, Insignificant because she's a woman. She wouldn't have been deemed in the same, as of similar worth to a man in the first century. Uh, tragically, that was the case. And it might not seem very impressive, this one. It's just a fever. Um, not as impressive as healing leprosy or paralysis, but no penicillin. Fever's killed. So uh, I'm given to understand with a little bit of research this week, fevers would kill in the first century. That would be the expectation. Uh, So we need to slightly reread this with uh, uh, the eyes of the first century like Matthew's audience did. When he says there's a woman here with fever, he's saying she's going to die. About 20 years ago now, amazingly, 20 years ago, I uh, spent some time in Central America, uh, which was enormous fun, mostly, uh, uh, working out there for, uh, for a period of time. At one point, I was on this very remote island in uh, Nicaragua, uh, really set away, and I came down with malaria. Uh, and I was feverish, and actually, I, I assumed I would die. It was a pretty remote island. There was only a ferry to the mainland once a week, and I had to wait for that, uh, for that to come around. Uh, and everyone was pretty nervous because no drugs to deal with it at all, no doctor on this island. Uh, so actually, I wrote a letter to my parents. I wasn't married at the time. I wrote a letter to my parents. Dear Mum and Dad, oops, um, <laughs> uh, I think this is it. Um, sorry about my handwriting. Uh, I'm a bit uh, all over the place at the moment. And, you know, I, I really thought that would be it. Um, they did sort of get me to onto the mainland. I was flown back to the UK. I'd gone out... Uh, Thirteen stone something. I came back four stone lighter, nine stone something. Greeted at the airport by my parents. A sort of hysterical mother. Um, And sort of just great distress. That was about all she could say. Uh, But all be well, because off I went to the Tropical Disease Hospital. And uh, I thought, okay, well, they'll sort me out, no problem. Um, And was there uh, about three weeks in total. One day I came out of my room and said to the nurse, oh, I'm surprised that... um, James seems to have gone from his room. I'm surprised. He looked quite, quite sick a couple of days ago. I'm surprised he's been released already. Well, uh, he died. Oh, uh, do many people die here? I didn't, I didn't realize that. And she was busy and just said, for goodness sake, everyone dies eventually, and just wandered off. But the whole thing, I want to be over silly about it, but the whole thing, it did transform my view of death. Uh, Until that point, death was, you know, for goodness sake, I am young. And uh, death is for people who are old. Um, And it's 70 years away. And, uh, oh, no, it's coming, isn't it, to everyone at some point. You, You can't avoid that. Matthew says, you, you, you do, she, the woman was feverish. You know what that means. You know the expectation that that would have produced. Jesus' response to her, again, verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. Just a touch. And off she goes to, uh, oh, thank you very much. And I'm uh, perfectly healed. And let me bake you mother-in-law's special stew and a cake to say thank you. And she's off and running again. Uh, Jesus' healings, they are dramatic. They're dramatic. So just as uh, verse 3, a touch, the leper is healed. Verse 13, a word, and the centurion's servant is healed. Here, just a touch, the fever leads her, leaves her. Uh, verse 16, uh, we'll come to the details of uh, the, the demons, etc. next week. But just look, um, he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Jesus doesn't battle with sickness and death. It's not a sort of wrestling match. Will he win, will he not? He just... He absorbs it. He eats it. He takes it into himself. It's just effortless for him. Well, not quite. Verse seventeen, Matthew gives his explanation of what's going on here. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases now <laughs> odd thing about this quote do you, we had it read at the beginning of the service do you remember that Isaiah 53 it's a passage all about substitutionary death Jesus dies to take the sins for many people and they get his perfect life that's what Isaiah 53 is about Jesus dies for sinners. Whenever it's used elsewhere in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 8 in 1 Peter 2, it is Jesus dies a substitutionary death for sinners. What is Matthew talking about? Matthew, it's not about sickness, mate. That's just not how the Bible uses it. What you've just got it wrong. Or well, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't make those sort of mistakes. Do you see what Matthew is trying to make, the point he's trying to make here? The sickness that Jesus has just healed in these three incidents back to back, it's a manifestation of a world that is sinful, of a world that is sick and decaying and heading to death. And he can deal with that sickness by his death upon the cross. And when he goes there, that death is not simply, I can't barely say that, but not simply a death to save individuals from their sin, although wonderfully it is, but it is a death to take the sickness or to deal with a sick world. It's far more dramatic Perhaps it has a far, far wider effect, perhaps, than sometimes we think of. His ministry here is—it's uh, an outflowing or an overflowing of his work upon the cross, like um, like licking the bowl of a cake before it goes in the oven. You just get a little bit of what's ultimately going to come, or uh, you're carrying a full cup of wine and a little bit spills over. Ooh, nice, like that one. Uh, but it's not. What's to come is the drink. What's to come is the cake in the future. These actions here, these, these little healings, they're just a hint of what his cross work will achieve. A healing for the world, if I can put it in those terms. These, verse 17 again, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. These miracles are an aspect Of the work of Jesus Christ when he dies upon the cross. Yes, that achieves salvation for sinners, but it also guarantees a renewed world to come in the future. It's the cross that achieves Isaiah 25. Death is taken, sickness is removed, tears are removed. It's the cross that achieves that. There is healing at the cross. So please don't misunderstand this passage. Matthew is not promising that Jesus will take away your ME, your cancer, your paralysis now. He's not promising that. He is promising that the work of taking infirmities, carrying our diseases upon the cross that removal of sin, it does guarantee those things will go in the future. That there is no cancer, no Emmy, no paralysis, no death. Because Jesus has taken it. He's absorbed it. He's eaten it. I don't know if you've seen the film uh, The Green Mile. It's a Tom Hanks uh, classic. Uh, if you've seen it, it's a long film. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a great film. But um, anyway, shall I get on with it? The, um, uh, Tom Hanks, then, he is uh, he's a prison guard uh, on death row. It's got this green linoleum, and it's, viewed, it's always called the last mile, because it's the sort of mile stretch that you'd walk before you die, so the green mile. And uh, he's a prison guard there. And uh, one day, a prisoner is brought in, and he is massive. John Coffey. Uh, he's a massive seven-foot-something, 25-stone... En- enormous brute of a man. But he's got a mental age of, uh, of a child, a small child, something like eight years old. So he's this gentle giant. And at first everyone is like, Whoa, what is this man? And he is accused, wrongfully as it turns out, of uh, murdering two small children. And so he's going to face the electric chair for that. And uh, this is very clearly a strange man. And it emerges in the course of the film that John Kofi can heal people <coughs> by Sounds odd unless you've seen it. He sucks in there, sucks in people's sickness. So uh, uh, Tom Hanks has got uh, some urinary tract infection, and he and sucks it up. Uh, the prison warden's boss is is actually m- going a little mad, insane. He sucks it up. A little mouse dies. He sucks up death. Uh, all sorts of uh, uh, another uh, patient, uh, patient with cancer. He he just sucks it up and takes it into himself. It's extraordinary. Uh, but eventually the time comes for him to die. And uh, at, by this stage, Tom Hanks knows this is he's an extraordinary man. And says, look, I, what's, I, I can't kill you. And he says, please let me die, boss. I just i can't do that, but please let me die. I can't take any more of this pain. I've just sucked up too much hurt and pain. And so uh, the film ends, John Kofi John goes to the electric chair, and the Tom Hanks character sees him die and says, surely this was one of God's great miracles. And I don't know who wrote the screenplay, but it's pretty obvious that he's giving us an echo here of the end of Matthew's Gospel, when another Roman centurion looks upon Jesus dying upon the cross, sucking up sin, Sucking up death so that those who trust in him can look forward to a life without them. And that centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. And we're meant to get that. That's what the king does. He took up our infirmities. He carried our diseases. And if you're struggling in this world of sickness, put your faith in Jesus Christ He's taken that, and he'll take you to a world where there is no sickness. And all of us are struggling in a world where our sin leads to death. Put your faith in the king, who has sucked up sin and death, to take us to be with him at his banquet. That's why the king has come, to take us out of this world of sickness and death. Let's pray together. Our Father God thank you for giving us this these clear pictures of your king Jesus full of power and authority full of compassion full of love and concern and we thank you above all that these things are supremely seen in his death upon the cross where he carried our iniquities he carried our transgressions our sin And again, give us the confidence that if we put Put our faith in him, then we can look forward to being with him in his banquet. Amen.